Greetings and welcome back to episode number 83 of the podcast. You're listening to Kiss My Aesthetic. And today we're talking to Whitney Eckes of Eckes Marketing and Get Super. Whitney is a powerhouse entrepreneur based here in San Diego, and she has a marketing company, but also has her hands in lots of different cookie jars as we talk about on this episode. Don't forget to throw her a follow at Whitney Eckes and at Eckes Marketing and enjoy the rest of the episode. Kiss my aesthetic. Branding, marketing, entrepreneurship. You're listening to the Kiss My Aesthetic Podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Winterstein of MKW Creative Co., where we build brag-worthy brands through visual identity design and social media. You're in the right spot for branding, marketing, and entrepreneurship advice, so enjoy the episode. Greetings, and welcome back to the Kiss My Aesthetic Podcast. I'm so excited to have on Whitney Eckes. Welcome to the pod. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm so excited to be here. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited to talk to you because I've kind of watched from the sidelines as you've grown your businesses, which is really (laughs) exciting. We're both in San Diego. Um, But for anyone who doesn't know you or doesn't follow you yet, can you explain who you are and what you do? Yeah. My name is Whitney Eckes. I am a serial entrepreneur. Um, I have a creative marketing agency called Eckes Marketing. And more recently, I launched a my first product-based business called Get Super. It's a hemp-infused instant coffee that basically gives you all the benefits of coffee, sans the jitters. And um, I'm also an investor. I invest in a lot of different brands. I help brands to elevate themselves on social media and basically help with go-to-market strategies along with just really elevating all of the content and all the things that you have to do now to be a brand and be successful. Oh my gosh. And there's so many layers to it. We're totally going to get into all of that. But walk us back to the beginning because I have a feeling that you and I might have started our businesses around the same time. We've been at it a while. Yeah, absolutely. So I've had the agency for about five years. I was in the hospitality industry at the time. I was working with like Marriott, Hilton's, a bunch of really kind of more corporate style um, hospitality. So bars, restaurants, hotels, things like that. And I had gotten a lot of social media and influencer experience from working with a couple brands that I was working or that I had jobs with in college. Um, So I worked with Red Bull. I worked with Aviator Nation. And in college is kind of when like Instagram really started having its shining moment. And this was also kind of at the same time where brands started to get the idea that they could be on social media and they could be building their own communities and they could be tapping into these communities on a day-to-day basis. So I kind of took that experience and brought it into the hospitality group that I was working with. And I was like telling Marriott and Hilton, they should like be on Instagram and like, we should be talking to mommy bloggers. And a lot of this kind of like it felt so new age, especially when you're working with such a like a traditional, successful, established corporation like Marriott and Hilton. Um, and then from that point, I kind of I I really kind of got a little bit bored. I feel like I had gone from very polarizing, very sexy, pushing the envelope brands to very corporate and structured. And I was like, I don't know if this is a fit for me. So I left the hospitality group. Um, I was able and so grateful. They actually came back and brought me like my first five clients. And then from that point, I kind of just started freelancing social media management. And then one thing led to the next and we were able to open up as an agency. Amazing. Tell us the whole gamut of services your agency now offers. Cause I feel like it's like we said before we started, your hands are in a lot of cookie jars, not only with the agency side, some of your other ventures. 
Yeah. So really, I mean, we, we really only have four verticals and those verticals touch a lot of different things. And we're kind of expanding more into this other vertical that I'll talk about, but really how it started was social media management. So the reason why it seems like we offer so many services is because there's so much that goes into social, whether that's creating content, community management, reputation management, influencer, campaigns, strategic partnerships, collaborations, things like that. So that was really our bread and butter and still is to this day our bread and butter service. Then the other kind of services that we offer obviously are kind of these one-offs that come with social, right? So like we do a ton of graphic design, branding, any form of really the design that's going to be echoed through social media. And then from there, we do a lot of content creation where it's actually creating you know shots and content video, photo, collaborations, things like that, that are going to be touch- touching on social too. Um, and then from there, we also have these other services that are more of our creative campaigns, whether it's an experiential event, it's a grand opening, it's a product launch, it's a you know VIP influencer gifting, it's something of those nature. So those are kind of like really where we stand. More recently, we've pivoted more into two platforms, obviously TikTok, because that is the new bread and butter. In fact, I'll never forget when you told me to get on TikTok and it was like, Hell I yeah. want to say it was like 2019. And uh-huh. uh, now it's like totally blown up since then, but I'll never forget that. I think you told me that at an event. And then more recently now Pinterest, because Pinterest is completely yeah. underutilized. TikTok, obviously I'm a huge fan of TikTok. It's changed my business, my sister's business. Um, what other things have changed in marketing since five years ago? I feel like it's oh a gosh. completely different landscape. So different. Um, I mean, I think that when we talk about marketing, right, we talk about basically creating the awareness enough and the loyalty enough to evoke a sale or an action from your consumer. So like for for me, we've seen marketing completely come digitalized. And like it was always kind of going that way. But I think now we're seeing the rise of actual brands that are only direct to consumer, which I think is something that's like not talked about enough is that we're able to create these revenue like scales and these revenue verticals just solely off the internet, like alone. And for, you know, packaged goods or for services or coaches or anything like that. So I feel like the landscape has changed, not that, you know, because of like social media in itself, like we were already kind of heading that direction. We always have been, we've always been searching for online community and to be able to, to communicate with anyone at any time. But I think right now what we're more so seeing is that we're actually seeing this whole other landscape of a lot of business moving to this direct consumer approach or just an online only approach. Yeah, it's been kind of a blessing and a curse, right? Because your your organic discoverability is now so dependent on your reach and your demographic and your brand and your brand reputation. And yeah. I just listened to, I don't know if you're a big armchair expert fan, but I listened to, his name is Reggie Philamy, and he's the marketing director of Nintendo, for example. Oh, wow. And he talks about how, how brands now are more you invest in brands the way that you cheer for a sports team. Like there's, there's a way that, especially as women and and luxury goods, I've noticed everything is like huge logos all over it. Like, (laughs) like Louis Vuitton is playing against Gucci, right? Like you get this feeling that there's now that the brand is almost saying so much about the consumer that it kind of becomes this, this dance between the two. So now that you're have transitioned from just being more of a service-based business 
to starting your product-based brand, what were some of the non-negotiables that you knew you wanted Get Super to communicate? For me, I really wanted us to move into a feeling. Um, I think I had related, I had these brands that were just so close and near and dear to my heart and that I thought were so creative and playful that I really wanted Get Super to basically encapsulate the same energy. Um, So for example, like I looked at like one of the brands that I thought was just always such a fun brand was Haha or Jaja Tequila or Recess Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. um, Can, you know, the THC and CBD drink. Um, With that, I mean, there were also other brands that we looked to that really had, had taken these other things that were outside of their product, but we're still offering them like Lost Sundays, like Lost Sundays tequila mm-hmm. and their incredible merch line. Um, or even, you know, dough, the edible cookie dough. Like there's there's a lot of this playful, fun, fulfilling energy. And so when we sat down to really talk about, you know, the personality it gets super, we we kind of leaned into the idea of this cowboy emoji and like, what was the cowboy emoji feeling? What was he saying? And you know, what was the, what was the conversation or the narrative of get super? And all of it had to go back to feeling super feeling good. So we just really got playful. I mean, we were posting jokes and memes and a lot of really fun things. And it's honestly become one of the best selling points for us is to have that playful energy because it doesn't feel like you're being sold to. It's something that our consumers show back up to every day because they feel like they're going to have a little bit of fun when they go to our social media. I think what I've always admired about you guys is that you're not trying to replicate what's already in the market, Um, especially for something when you're creating a product or a lifestyle brand. I feel like especially something in a category people haven't really explored before, Mm -hmm. like mixing hemp with coffee, right? You really have to paint the picture of like, this is for the person that is or does X, Y, Z kind of thing. So how many iterations, did you have a clear vision of what you wanted the branding to be when you started? Or did you go through like lots of different drafts and different iterations of it? Yeah, no, we, we had a very clear vision. So kind of going back to the story of Get Super, I did acquire Get Super in 2020. So we left the name, the logo, and then did a complete rebrand. The complete rebrand was really off the beginning initial design because I loved the red and yellow. And it reminded me a lot of the nostalgia that we see from a lot of original coffee companies like Folgers or Maxwell or things like that. So there was a lot of, and a design agency had originally actually designed a lot of that outside of us. What we did is we took their original design, we kept the logo, we kept the baseline colors of the red and yellow, and then we integrated in different, um, different sub fonts and different colors. So we actually integrated like this neon, uh, I think a cerulean blue. We introduced this really cool seafoam green. We introduced this really poppy kind of off white color instead of using like a, you know, a, a contrast of black and white with these really bright colors. So we leaned into this kind of nostalgic 60s and 70s kind of nod to, again, like what originally coffee was. And that was kind of the playfulness that we had with the branding was that we wanted it to be loud and we wanted it to be bright and fun, but we didn't want to take away from the original logo. And I also felt like the original logo was just gorgeous as is that I really just wanted to add in more of the creative personality and what the brand, what I felt like the brand was lacking. And then what I think you guys have also done well is you've translated that into events and into audience activations, which 
I mean, Summer Fridays is one of my North Star brands. I think that they do this so beautifully for each of their launches. What are some other brands that really inspire you in that event activation kind of brand activation way? Oh my gosh. Um, I mean, one of the ones that are just more recent that I thought just absolutely killed it was base in their base, their base hotel. I think that you know, again, I, I come from I come from Red Bull, so I come from a little bit of this beverage space, right? At least in my very beginning experience. And there's this term that you'll hear a lot, especially in ready to drink category of like basically liquid to lips. And it's this idea of giving people a chance to actually try the product in order to establish, you know, this consumer loyalty. And I think beginning with Red Bull and beginning with this idea where when we used to go through Red Bull trainings all the time. And like, I was, I mean, I was like a brand manager. Like I was not paid. I mean, I just housed a shit ton of product and worked with the athletes and worked with the wings team and things like that. But we went through all this training and I'll never forget one of the biggest things. And one of the biggest takeaways in the trainings was that they asked us to recite the first time we ever had Red Bull. And about 90% of all those experiences was at an actual event. It was either a Red Bull branded event or it was from the Wings team sampling or it was, you know, they went to a college party and, a you know, with a Red Bull athlete or something of that nature. And it set the tone up for what Red Bull stands for, which is giving you your wings. It's, you know, it's pushing the boundaries. It's, you know, asking you to take risks and take chances and be adventurous and things of that nature. And so for me, when I look at brands and I look at events, I think that there's no better way to give someone their first experience with your brand than by physically putting them into an atmosphere where they can experience the brand in its entirety, almost like it's in your own, like in its own world. Yeah, because you foster conversation, you like trigger memories that way, right? And I think whenever you're talking about a brand that you talked so much about nostalgia and bringing up this old nostalgia with your branding and kind of rewriting that script and every, I find myself doing it. If I'm telling somebody else about a brand that I've enjoyed, I've got kind of like my one-liner sentence that summarizes how I felt like what it is to someone who knows nothing about it, right? So as marketers, I mean, how, how would you want someone to talk about Echis marketing, for example, like what do you kind of drive in your services on the service side of your business to create that consistent experience for your customers, your clients? Yeah. I mean, I think there's, <laughs> I think there's an argument to say that a lot of Echis marketing is a direct reflection of my personality. And that's very true. I think if anything, when we talk about the agency is that we don't really have any ceiling. And I've heard that multiple times where our agency is something that is So cultivating when it comes to creative, when it comes to strategy, when it comes to our team members, not just acting like an agency, but actually becoming partners to the brands that we work to. I I think that that's probably our main, our main narrative that, and that the fact that we are a bit polarizing, I'm not for everybody. And, you know, in fact, I had a really interesting conversation with, um, a potential client and the energy and the exchange between both of us was just not aligning. And it was maybe a sense you could say it was two conflicting personalities. You can say it was a conflicting expectation, but we basically said, you know, Hey, this is awesome. And what we think you're doing with your brand is so, so cool, but we're totally not aligned with you and we're not for everybody. Um, and I think that that's something too, where I value my client relationships and my partnership so deeply. And I've had such an experience with 
having clients that were not a fit for me, that I'm very clear on who is somebody that is going to come into our family and then who's going to be, you know, a partner with us versus just us signing random clients. So I think that again, like yep. when we talk about Ecos marketing, there is this kind of edge that we have to us because we know who we are, we know what we stand in and we're not for everybody. I just had this conversation with my team. In fact, on Tuesday, we're having a whole team meeting about it to say, okay, let's actually sit down and look at our client roster. Who do we want more clients like? Who do we all get fired up to work on? Because we have the luxury of having now a reputation and demand of people that want to work with us. So we can choose to pick the ones that fit you know, our portfolio. Like how amazing is that? But let's yeah. get laser focused on who we think we can serve best. Because sure. if we have the opportunity to... Let's go all in. I just did a consulting call with with another designer who wanted to kind of pick my brain, and and she was her in her last job. She designed toilet manuals, and so she had that in her porfo- in her portfolio. And I was like, "Did you like doing that?" She's like, "Not particularly." I was like, "Well, then let's not put it in your portfolio because yeah, you're going to attract the kind of projects that you show off. So mm-hmm. someone learns all of a sudden you can do toilet manuals, and now their plumbing business wants to hire you to do." manuals. But if that doesn't get you fired up, like, let's not, let's not include that in the portfolio. Do you have projects that you can think of where you're like, do you have older projects where you're like, wow, that either wasn't a fit or this was a niche I was really not interested in, but I took it on just kind of out of convenience or whatever in maybe some of your early years? Yeah, um, absolutely. We've taken on a lot of different things where we felt like we were capable and we were able to do the service. And it was a complete headache because it wasn't something that lit us up. Um, I think that there's also, you know, we've trimmed a lot of our fat in our services. And again, we do offer a lot of different things and different services. But the other thing that we stopped doing too is kind of these a la carte services. Um, it just felt like they, it felt like, you know, for example, we had a client come to us and they're like, I just want a logo and font colors. And I was like, but that's not going to be a good reflection of what we truly can do. And it's not really something where I want to put my name on that because you could take that and run with it and claim that we designed it without any sort of strategy and it sets us up for failure. So again, like, are we service-based? Yes. Is it still my business with my name? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So I think that Mm -hmm. that's also something too, when you have a service-based business to really take into consideration is again, who you're serving and isn't it a, is it a fit for you? As someone who's listening to the podcast, who maybe is just kind of in their first few years of business and wants to work for an agency like Ekis Marketing. What do you feel like are skill sets that they could really hone right now? And maybe things that that are more future forecasting, like, oh, I would die to hire somebody that had this skill set. Yeah. Have you put a lot of thought to this recently? Because I have. Um, not And maybe not recently, but I do know what I look for when I go to hire someone. I think the biggest thing that you can do is to, again, forget the ceiling, forget, forget the services, forget the management. What do you see in a brand that you feel like is missing? What do you Mm -hmm. see in a business that you feel like you could come up with an idea for? Or do you have ideas that you can bring to the table? Um, I think the biggest thing in my team is constantly stimulating that conversation of feedback. And I'm really grateful because I do have a team that's like feels very comfortable with opening up, you know, opening our agency up to critiques or opening up to brands about what they should do. And I think there that is something where you truly see the difference in just someone coming to work for you and to execute tasks to someone that is able to 
really show up and bring new light and new creative energy and to be able to shift something with inside of your business. Yeah, I'm really drawn to people and individuals, creative specifically, that seek out trying to solve a problem. So people that notice like, hey, I noticed that you don't do X, Y, Z. I have experience doing A, B, C. I'd like to tackle this for you. And just you come to me, pitch me basically is yeah. what I'm, what I'm interested in because that's, I think my attitude towards my clients. I'm like, Hey, I noticed you don't really have a TikTok strategy. Let me yeah. help you with that. Like, yeah. I really think I can help you there. You know, um, it's exciting, but it's also, I think it's kind of like a lost art in some sure. ways. Absolutely. You know? And the other thing that I feel like this younger generation doesn't really have a total grip on yet is networking. You and I are both very avid networkers. I've seen you have plenty <laughs> of events around San Diego <laughs> County. Um, what would be some of your top tips for somebody who wants to get into growing their network in a really productive way? Yeah. Um, I think the best tip that someone ever told me is that people don't do business with people that are necessarily skill set forward. People do business with people that they like. And so the more open you are to creating relationships and you don't, I mean, here's the thing I have, I am totally an introvert extrovert. Like I have the hardest times in social settings. And most of the time I'm totally down to speak in an event, but I usually hightail it out of there. Like shaking people's hands and having like very intro level conversations with people scares the shit out of me. I don't like it. It's just not me. But what I will say is that in order for me to build my network and to build my business, I've really leaned into people that I find interesting. And I really do try to make an actual avid effort. So it's not so much of the quantity of going and shaking everyone's hand in the room. It's more or less of like, who do I want to really make an effort with today when I go to this event? And who do I want to have a conversation with? And I think if we kind of change that narrative around networking, it becomes less scary because there's more of this goal and it's really, again, more qualitative than quantitative. Yeah. Quality over quantity for sure. And I think aligning yourself with people who have complementary skill sets to yours helps you network even better. So uh, we don't, we don't design websites, but I have website design partners. We don't do PR, but I have PR partners, you know, and kind of building out that when you do refer someone, you end up kind of your client trusts you even more because you've got this list of people that you can give to them. And then, and then just that exchange speaks so positively to who you are as the business owner. There's such a power in that. It's such like an unspoken kind of like being part of the community and being a part of the brand, right? Like we want clients that work with each of us to feel not only proud of the work that we've done, but feel proud to be in part of that community. Don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. It's so interesting. And I think it's so evolving. Like I feel like recently I've noticed people want to get in person way more thanks to the kind of the pandemic being over, (laughs) but we kind of forgot, we kind of forgot how, like there's this weird kind of social anxiety of like not knowing when or where to, where to be or how to talk about your business or, or anything like that. Is there anything Mm -hmm. that you feel like glaringly is still sticking out as kind of like the after effects of the pandemic in the business space? Yeah. Um, I think that there's definitely a fatigue. I feel like, you know, whether it's Zoom or whether it's like the constant, you know, we we went from as humans, like we went from something where everyone was kind of working and had this their own, you know, their own life, their own career, all these different like kind of paths that they were on. And then everything was just completely paused or shooken up. And some people were able to create new career paths or new things out of this pandemic. But then there were also some people that were completely just 
like paused like entirely. Mm -hmm. So I feel Mm -hmm. like when we talk about our things different, I feel like there's such a fatigue. Like for example, I still feel like, you know, we're, we're, I'm so grateful for the agency to be where it's at today. And it took a lot of us growing and pivoting through the pandemic and even through 2021 to get to where we are right now. However, there are still things where it still feels like, you know, we're still circling back. People are still working at a different pace, or there's a lot more excuses. There's a lot of, I'll get to it later. Um, Mm -hmm. And so for me, I've been seeing a lot of that. There's almost a little bit more of a relaxed approach versus like this approach of, you know, now that things are back, are we able to go back to full speed? And I don't think people want to. I think people actually have developed more of this like kind of slower response to business and to their careers and things like that because of the pandemic. I think you're spot on. And I just talked with Jessica Marks about this on the podcast earlier this week. And I asked her what her opinions were of the workforce since the pandemic. And she goes, I think people are grossly overpaid for doing the bare minimum. And I was like, Ooh. <laughs> yeah. I was like, hot take. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I, and I, I kind of agree. There's not, it doesn't seem that there's as much of a hunger for, mm-hmm. for, putting down the stepping stones towards the career or the skill set that you want to have. And that was always my jam. Like I started my business in college, like never, never made a resume, never had a salary job was just like, this is what I'm going to do. And like stuck with it. But everything I've learned is self-taught. Like I didn't go to school for it, but I, I challenged myself of my own kind of like ambition and drive to be like, no, I'm just going to do branding now, having never designed a brand before. So like, yeah. I only want to do this. Like this yeah. is going to be the only thing I do. And then kind of peppered back in the services. But I think that there's a lot of that because online education is so accessible and because professionals like yourself and myself are so available that I'm sure you get DMs that are like, I want to do what you're doing. Tell me everything of how you started and tell it all to me for free because <laughs> I just follow you and therefore I should know everything that you know. Yeah. And you're there's like, definitely a little I bit of I want to help you. Yeah. Entitlement I do, there. But like, don't come to me until you've binged every free piece of content I've ever made because sure. guaranteed your questions are going to get answered. Today's episode is brought to you by the Kiss My Loops video training. That's right. I created an entire TikTok training for creative entrepreneurs that teaches them how to set up optimize and get around TikTok so you can create content that best engages with your ideal client on TikTok because believe me, they're on there. And if you listen to today's episode, you know what a powerhouse TikTok can be. So go ahead and check out today's show notes at mkwcreative.co slash kmapod. Click on the episode and you'll get the link exactly to the Kiss My Loops training. I hope you learn a lot. If you do, be sure to message me, tag me on Instagram. Uh, tag me on everything and enjoy the training. You have a podcast also. Tell us about the podcast part and tell us about how you kind of let people in or maybe don't let people into your process. Yeah. Um, the podcast is called Under the Influence Podcast. I've had it for, let's see, I've had it for about four years. I did take about a two-year hiatus. I just recently kind of relaunched it. Um, and Congrats. part of that was because of my own journey and what I was walking through at the time. But yeah, when it comes to mentoring, I think one of the biggest things for me is that I really try to limit the time. And I think the reason, or I try to limit who I let into my space energetically. And I think mainly that's because I've also had to learn to be very mindful of my mentor's time. 
And it's not so much of, hey, can I grab coffee with you? For me, I think the best way to really get someone's attention and to really honor their time is by making sure that there's some sort of incentive for them. And I think that that's not necessarily what I expect when people come to me, but it does help because it also does show that you're serious. And I think that there's a lot of exploring. There's a lot of people that you can talk to. And to be quite frank, like your time is your money. And so if you're able to understand that and you're able to understand to that of which whoever you're asking for their time, know that there's always a price associated. Why would they want to sit down or why would they want to drive 30 minutes, sit down and have coffee with you for 30 minutes and then drive another 30 minutes back? That's 90 minutes. That's 90 minutes of productivity that they could have had elsewhere. So I think when we go to talk about how we're letting people in, you know, and that goes on both sides, right? Be be mindful of the energy that you're releasing out to other people and make sure that you're vet checking if it is something that is going to be worth your time. And then also too, when you go to approach people, be very clear and mindful on, you know, what you're asking of them. I think having a podcast is one of the best ways to network and to be Mm -hmm. able to ask anybody Mm -hmm. anything. And it's also a great incentive. So I think if you're able to have that awesome platform, go for it. If you're not at that point, really revisit what you're asking of them. And again, just like what you said, right? Are you asking them specific questions that they probably have a blog for? that's not needed. You know, are you wanting them to come in and be an investor and a mentor within your company? Okay. Make sure that you're prepared with a specific offering. So I think that there's Mm -hmm. ways of just really taking that extra five minutes to evaluate what you're asking and what the worth is. Or make a pitch that's a slam dunk. Like make a pitch so <laughs> advantageous to the other person that it's a slam dunk. Like sure. my sister and I are both wanting to get more into content creation for brands. She's mm-hmm. a wedding planner. I do brand design. I love making video content. We were going on a 30 day Euro trip. And I said, let's yeah. just like pitch some people yeah. and say, Hey brands, we're going, we're taking pictures anyway. We're taking videos anyway. Sure. We might as well give you some content in exchange for a review. And we're not influencers by any yeah. stretch. It's not what I'm trying to be, but to start to establish those relationships with lifestyle brands with an emphasis on travel with that want to do these kind of partnerships where we can just send them a whole folder of photos and videos in exchange for a review. That was our only goal was like start getting reviews. So then the next time we pitch people for like a content trip, we can be like, yeah, a couple hundred bucks. Like we'll create this kind of content for you and performs X, Y, and Z kind of way. And, and this is our quality in here, all of our references, because Mm -hmm. I think it's really easy, especially now, especially if you consume a lot of TikTok material of people who are like coaching you how to be an influencer. And this is, you have to charge this base rate. And if you have no experience doing something, you can't charge top of market prices. Yeah, absolutely. Because like, it's a risk for that other brand to en- engage with you. I'm like very much a fan of like the slow, steady growth based on demand. Raise your prices based on demand, not because... Right well, I've been doing this for two years. So now I charge X. It's like, mm-hmm. no, <laughs> if no one, and, and it happens a lot. I feel like in the service industry and in the coaching space where coaches would be like my $4,000 program that no one has signed up for. And you're <laughs> like, well, is it really worth $4,000 then? Mm-hmm. Like, yikes. That's like one of my own personal industry pet peeves. Do you have any things that kind of stand out to you where you're like, I wish people would consider doing it this way? Yeah. I think for me, when we talk about industry or we talk about, you know, solopreneurs or we talk about service-based or coaches or things like that, I think that there is something to be said about 
not only your offering, not only the service that you're offering, but being able to take yourself out of the like next six months view and look at the timeline and like really zoom out to see what your business is capable of. I think that was the biggest learning lesson for Echo's marketing was that, you know, we had gone, I had gone from social media freelance to an agency to the pandemic to pivoting from hospitality to direct to consumer and e-commerce and CPG. And the biggest learning lesson I had to absorb was I have to let go of what I think this business should be and let it evolve into what it is going to be. And again, when we look at coaches, when we look at solopreneurs, we look at business owners, like there's nothing wrong with having a strong mission and vision. But if that mission and vision is completely landlocking you to something that is not performing, it is not you giving up your dream. It is you being a smart businesswoman and being able to, or businessman, and being able to pivot and scale back out and zoom back out. Again, I think, you know, this in 2021, I decided that I was going to heavily invest in my team and that I was going to give out salaries and be able to give out benefits even before we had the revenue to do so. It was not something I've ever wanted to do. I've bootstrapped this thing for the last five years off what I can make and how I can, you know, turn a dime into a dollar. But it was something that, I had to zoom out on and realize if I want this to be all that it is, I have to bring in, you know, the talent. I have to bring in the team. I need to honor their time and their money. And I have to invest back in them in order for us to go forward. We did not have that money to invest in. I mean, there were so many times in 2020 and 2021 where I did not take a paycheck. But because I had this vision and because I was able to let go of it and letting go of that ego and that fear is, it's insanely hard, but it got us to the next point. So I think again, when I do see young entrepreneurs, it's like, you have to like, you can have this business plan, you can have this model and that is great. You have a structure, you have a foundation, you have a, a, you know, a direction, but you also have to realize that you have to pivot and evolve as your business evolves and grows too. And as the industry changes, as culture changes, sure. I mean, I think marketing and branding, the reason I love it is because it is so fast paced and so quickly changing the tenants and the foundation stay the same, like the attracting your ideal client. And like you're saying, having a mission vision, not that it stays the same forever, but there, you do have to have some things be a constant, but there's a lot of stuff on the top that's moving constantly and changing, yeah. evolving, which is beautiful, but it's also can be so irritating and so frustrating, right? Like yeah. even Instagram as a platform, I feel like is going through it right now. Like they cannot yeah. figure out what they're doing to save their life. And to see that as a great reminder that, that, you know, you're, I'm a big believer in, in retention, bringing in recruitment of the more you can keep a good client on and keep good team members on and keep your, you know, keep the people that are doing a good job in your circles. That's going to naturally breed more new people into your circles versus like, I think sometimes new people get in the strategy of like, I need new customers, new customers, new customers, new customers, new clients, new clients, new clients. And that's not always the best approach. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I think exactly that. I think that, you know, kind of along with what, what again, I was kind of saying is like really making sure that like, what, what is the vision? What is the long-term? What are you looking at? What, where are you going? What's the next step? Right. So, I mean, I kind of echo, echo that exactly. 
Yeah, we're on the same page. This is a boring episode. We agree about everything. <laughs> I know. I'm it's sorry. So I wish I was a little bit more controversial. No, no, it's all good. No, I think uh, it's refreshing. It's good to know that people are do have that not only like the work ethic, the creative vision, but have also felt this roller coaster of the last two years. And 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 the timing of it is quite weird. And I think now the more years I'm into business, the more I can look back on it like retrospectively. I had a huge huge year in 2020 because everyone was starting businesses. We had 40 brands that year. Like it's insane because everyone who thought they could do it on their own was like, well, now's the time to do it. Perfect Mm -hmm. timing with me being really competitively priced, having a lot of time to do take on brands. And now it's kind of swapped to working with less brands, but more intensely. And I also think and if I had to predict with the recession on its on our doorstep, is that a lot of people that started those businesses in 2020 are now not doing that anymore. Sure. Um, so it's very, it's crazy because it's like, as a business owner, I feel like you always want to be, be 10 steps ahead and be planning for future. But like you're saying, not be so cemented and this is the way that it has to go because it could all change on a dime. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think again, like it, there's, that's the other thing too. Like there's nothing wrong with starting a new project and being like, this isn't for me. And I think again, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of pride and there's a lot of ego that goes into entrepreneurship. But at the end of the day, what is going to serve you most? And again, if you're, if you have this mission and vision, you're like, I don't want to evolve. I'm done. Mm -hmm. It's like, there's nothing wrong with that because honestly, at the end of the day, it's not meant to, it's not serving you any longer. And I feel like too, that, that was kind of one of the beauty and curses of the of the pandemic was that it gave everyone this huge opportunity and this huge excuse to explore what they wanted to and again it's not it's not a bad thing if you created you know a side hustle and you're like I want nothing to do with this I started a blog and I don't fucking like blogging I could realize that really quick like I am just not a writer and it's not something that I truly love like and so I think when we when we see that, it's like there's also there needs to be a bit of grace and a bit of understanding where it's like you are allowed to figure it out. You're also allowed to know like if you're not in the place where you want to zoom out as an entrepreneur, that's totally fine. If you are fearful of this recession and you want to go back to a 95 with a total stable salary, that's something that's going to benefit you. There's nothing, nothing also wrong with that. And I we think- need it. We yeah. need that too. Everyone needs, everyone's hiring. Like there's this huge labor shortage. Like mm-hmm. there's no shame in that, but there's this kind of like, it felt like this fetish fetishization of being entrepreneurial and being solopreneurial <laughs> and being where it was like, I'm my own boss. And like, yeah. I do that stuff. Like I say that stuff. I use those kind of Instagram captions, like was totally like fell victim to like the girl boss of 2017. Like it's very real. And like, you can benefit from a system and still be critical of it. Right. So Mm -hmm. we can benefit from that, but, but I'm in this for the long game. Like I love working for myself, but it's always lifestyle forward. I feel like you're similar in that way too. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, I think it definitely the girl boss, the hustle culture became trending. Um, and I think that a lot of people also were opened up to all of a sudden it's like, this is really hard and it fucks with your mental health. And so mm-hmm. I think that now we're seeing the repercussions of that and people starting to dissect what that means. And it's like, it's not all performance copy. It's not all, you know, clickbait and motivating and things like that. And it's, it's something where it is, you know, a business is hard and it is a struggle and it is an ask of giving 
every bit of you to reflect something that you are passionate about. And if you don't have that passion, you don't have that vision, it is going to be the hardest thing you've ever had to do. Because ultimately when you have the terrible days, that's what keeps you coming back. And it's not, you know, I get to set my own schedule. I get to set my own income. It's that this is fulfilling me even on the bad days. And that is what keeps me coming back. Do you feel that you always have that as your baseline? Like, is that something that like you live and breathe every day? Or do you have moments where you feel super passionate about it and then like really drained about it and then kind of more roller coaster? Yeah, no, it's all cynical. I I mean, there's definitely days where I'm like, (laughs) fuck this. I'm going to shut the doors Mm -hmm. and walk away. But then there's also days where, you know, something small happens and it fills up my entire world. Um, Mm -hmm. I think... I think my practice is to always remember my why and always to remember what my agency has done for me. And my agency has given me not only the life that I want to live, but it has supported me and my team through so much. And it also has been my biggest life lesson. It is the 100% my shadow of who I am, but also the clearest reflection of also who I am. It brings out my best and worst character. It brings out my talents and the things I'm not good at. And for me, that is something that I just, you know, emotionally and passionately have just been so intertwined with and has become who I am that it keeps me coming back because that is who I am. That is what I do and what I want to do. And maybe people don't see it that way. And some people treat business otherwise, but that's how I treat mine. You reminded me of one of my favorite questions I love to ask on the podcast, which what is the one thing that you think you do particularly well and what's something you're dying to get better at? (laughs) Oh my God. I'm great at keeping my head in the clouds. I can think of 27 businesses ideas a day. It's just who I am. It's how my brain works. Um, And I've gotten really good at hiring teams to execute that because I'm shit at executing. Like I'm just not, I'm, I'm a great thinker. I'm a great visionary. I am not great at executing. And I learned that super early on. And again, the whole entrepreneurial journey taught me that, right? Because you kind of have to be everything when you're first starting out. And now I know what I'm really bad at and what I'm really good at. And my team also knows it too. So it's, it's a win-win for everybody. I'm in the same boat completely. Same boat. Are you a big audiobook listener? I am. I love audiobooks. Same. Okay. So I just finished Bethany Frankel's business is personal Oh, and she describes the same thing. She describes Uh the same thing. And she describes about how her team is her biggest asset and about how it's all about hiring people that could complement her skill set, keep her on track and also help her realize like what is a big problem and what's like a mountain you're making out of a molehill. Um, because she's also the person that has her hands in a million cookie jars doing a million different things. Um, But it's really admirable. I love listening to like stories like that because I think it reminds you that I get hard on myself, same as you, where it's like, man, I wish I had more attention to detail. I wish I could like sit down and just focus on this one thing and see it all the way through, but it's just not how my brain works. Yeah. It's not how my brain works. And, and that's kind of okay. And it is how someone else's brain works. So it's about finding the compliment, the interior yang, right? Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. It's good stuff. Good stuff. I'll leave you with one more question and then we'll, we'll let everybody know where to find you, follow you, all that good stuff. A question I consistently get in my DMS on my lives about the podcast is where I go for creative inspiration. So I love to kind of pass that on and ask you. Yeah. Gosh, I go to a couple of different places. I think, I mean, right now I'm going to say what's relevant to me as I'm sitting in this moment. Um, Uh I, 
am able to do my best like creative thinking or again, be able to zoom out and see kind of everything that I'm working on when I take a weekend alone. Um, so we just had our team retreat in Palm Springs. I booked a couple extra days alone and I've just been reflecting back on these last, last six months and the next six months. And, um, that for me, you know, again, I'm, I'm someone that's the dreamer, right? I love to be creative inside of my own brain and be able to be alone to have those thoughts. So when I close out all the noise and I'm able to just have some time alone, it really helps me kind of be re-inspired. The second thing is just taking people out to dinner that you really, really want to talk to. There have been so many people that I've fangirled over and just have fallen completely in love with. And I love, you know, there's been times where like I get jealous or I get shy or I get inside my own head and I have to kind of reset my focus when I'm with them because it's like they're, they're probing something inside of me that wants what they have. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. for me, you know, even if I'm terrified to sit down with somebody that's like, you know, a billionaire or something like that, like, I want to be able to be in that and be in that room and be in that situation with somebody because I'm going to get inspired and I'm going to take away some sort of value from them. And that's also been really motivating for me in business. Oh, I like that idea. I have so many restaurants <laughs> in San Diego that are on my hit list oh, that I think I yeah. just need to start. I need to like make a list and then I need to go to open table and just start making reservations and decide who I want to invite. It's like the greatest. Yeah. Tell them you'll buy them dinner. There's so much good food here. Send them the open table link and they'll go. What's your favorite dinner spot in San Diego? Do you have a fave? Yes. I am the biggest fan of Cowboy Star. I think it's totally underrated. I think it's the greatest steakhouse. Um, All right. I am also a consortium holdings girl. So anything that they touch, create, I think is absolutely incredible. I don't care if people are like, it's all about the atmosphere, not about the food there. I think that's total bullshit. I think that they 100% have done something so insanely incredible in the hospitality industry in San Diego. And I think they kill it. It's Disneyland for adults. Yeah. Like absolute foodie <laughs> Disneyland. It's foodie Disneyland. And it's, yeah. it's the same reason why I love like the Hoxton Hotel Group. Like yeah. my sister and I on our Europe trip, we did two Hoxtons in London and Hoxton in Rome for my birthday. And I was like, I just love this place. Like they think of everything. Like there's so many little... They have sketch, um, sketch right? Sketch London is something different. No, okay. Hoxton, Hoxton, there's downtown LA, Hoxton, there's um London, Paris, Rome. They just opened Barcelona. And it's this guy who who just had this vision for this place that oh, I think wow. they did things so smart. Like they their whole downstairs, all of their their hotels have just like free access Wi-Fi. So wow. it's kind of like a WeWork meets a boutique hotel, but they have like each location has its own curated vibe. And the one in Holborn in, in London has like a wine cave underneath it. And wow. just like really crazy little touches. They work with local artists in every city that they go to to place all the art and all the books in all the hotel rooms. So every wow. room has like a different set of books. Every time you walk in, there's like a Marshall radio that's playing music of a local oh, so radio cool. station. So they, they just like go over the details. top, like overboard with details. And I love that stuff. That's the like delight and surprise that gets stuff like people like you and I like absolutely fired up. And I think yeah. Consortium Holdings is that in San Diego. Absolutely. Like totally absolute, fantastical, immersive, all in on a theme, maximalist. I love it. Like that is yeah. totally my vibe too. <laughs> I love Seneca. I've been to Seneca like four times now. It's mm-hmm. so great. So great. Oh, that's Wonderful. so awesome. Well, we'll have to get dinner when you're back in town. Let's we'll do have it. to go to a consortium holdings restaurant somewhere and uh, chat about branding stuff. I'd love to. That'd be awesome. 
Perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Where can everyone find you, follow you, connect, listen to your podcast, all that good stuff? Yeah, absolutely. You guys can follow my personal journey just at Whitney Eckes. You can follow the agency at Eckes Marketing. You can follow Get Super at Get Super, which is G-E-T-S-U-P-R. Um, and then you can listen to the show on Under the Influence podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. Yay. Perfect. Thank you so much, Whitney. And thanks for joining us all the way from your, your solo extension of your team retreat. I love that idea. Thank you so much. Bye. Thanks again for joining us for the Kiss My Aesthetic podcast. I'm your host, Michelle, of course, and it would mean the world to me if you would go ahead and leave us a review and follow us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else that you listen to podcasts, really. The Kiss My Aesthetic Facebook group is also going to be a killer resource for you to ask questions, get feedback on anything branding, marketing, or entrepreneurship related. And to catch today's show notes or anything that we talked about in this episode, make sure you go to mkwcreative.co slash kmapod. We'll catch you next time.